Welcome to the Canola Watch Podcast. My name is Jay Wetter. This podcast is about canola fertilizer management practices to improve efficiency and return on investment and to reduce nutrient losses to the air and water. 4R nutrient management is a key step. 4R is based on the right source of fertilizer applied at the right rate, at the right time, and in the right place. Adoption of 4R is a canola industry priority, given its clear benefits for productivity, efficiency, and care for the environment. Recordings used in this podcast are from a Canola Watch webinar from March 24th. Because this was recorded as a webinar, presenters may refer to slides that you obviously can't see in the podcast. I've removed some of the more complicated references, to see the slides and the full recording, please go to youtube.com slash canola council and look for the heading Challenging Environmental Conditions, Adapting Canola Nutrient Management to Maximize Potential. In this podcast, you'll hear from four presenters, Warren Ward, Karen Dow, Curtis DeGoyer, and Steve Barron. We'll start with Warren Ward, who is an agronomy specialist for the Canola Council of Canada and Canola Nutrients Lead for the Canola Council's agronomy team. Warren leads off with a description of the canola industry's goal. And within the canola industry, we have a goal to see 90% of canola acres using for our management practices. And so really where we're at, we've got a a little bit to go to get to that 90% level. But the encouraging thing for me right now is that there are people out there using for our management practices without having made a conscious decision to do so. So really that tells me that the, that people are seeing the benefit of these practices and, and are already implementing them on, on their farm. And now we just want to see that uh, continued growth of, of uh, uptake. You know, some of the lower hanging fruit that, that we've identified that, uh, that, that we'd like to see greater uptake on would be things like uh, increased soil testing. And really, that would uh, that once we pair that soil testing with uh, with uh, appropriate yield targets in for each field or in, in different areas, uh, we can really start making improved right rate decisions. Uh, similarly, we also would like to see a, a greater um, greater use of varying that that rate from field to field, and really not treating every field the same because we we know that there is going to be differences there. And, uh, and so some people are already there. So maybe the next step would be uh, looking at variable rate and zone management within fields to, to optimize production that way. So there's a, a, number of, a number of things there. And I'm not going to get too far into 4R because our, our next presentation is going to focus on that a little bit. But I did want to set the stage as to where we are today and, and leading into the, the planting season of 2022. And, uh, and so really, I, you know, I could have thrown that great big red map up talking about drought conditions from last year, but I think everybody's probably tired of seeing that. Uh, but it is an underlying, one of the main underlying factors of, of where we are today. It was dry last year. There was nutrient carryover that wasn't utilized by, by the crop. Um, so that really enhanced the need for, for things like soil testing last fall. And then in, in a lot of areas, we did see some moisture late in the season that, that caused a lot of regrowth. So now we've got nutrient tied up in, in some of that regrowth material. Uh, over the winter, we've had uh, very varying rates of snowfall across the prairies. So, so there's definitely going to be some situations there where maybe there's uh, excess runoff and maybe some some pooling of water in some of the low spots, and some areas are still re- remaining quite dry. 
So that's all. That's kind of uh, some of the challenges that I, that are, we'll be facing with nutrient management this year. That's going to impact the decisions that we make. If we look at things like prices, inputs, and commodities, uh, again, I don't have any charts or graphs to, sh- to share with you on that. Uh, but I think it's pretty safe to assume that those uh, those trends are are, are trending upwards. <laughs> so so really, there's some challenges there, but there's also opportunity, and, and there's we want to make sure we're able to capitalize on that, uh, on those commodity prices, but realizing that, yeah, input prices and some of the logistics around some of the, some of the inputs are going to be a bit of a challenge. Uh, also, there's the, the consumer awareness, uh, uh, emissions targets, that uh, whole environmental piece, and, and that's one that's not going away. So we need to get in front of that as, uh, as agronomists and producers and, and really showcase the things that we are doing to to um, improve our management practices and, and show that to the world as well. So really that's a, a good tie-in for 4R because it really does take a lot of these challenges and, and it's a flexible program that allows us to optimize our production, uh, especially with regards to nutrient management. Next is Karen Dow, who is the Manager of Agronomic Market Development for Federated Co-op, or FCL. Karen explains how collecting data on 4R adoption can be useful to showcase what farmers are doing. Most farmers are using sustainability practices on their farm. We just don't uh, have the data to prove it. So um, many of the platforms that um, companies like FCL, uh, JRI, um, Nutrien, Independence, um, there is for our agronomists that um, will go over an assessment with you and answer all the questions. And then we have the data um, that we can use um, in discussions with government because they are implementing sustainability objectives and goals. And I think one of the things I really wanna emphasize to you is that we, if we provide the data, we have a basis for um, discussions with the government on how the 4R nutrient stewardship practices do, um, you know, uh, look after the sustainability issues um, in terms of reductions of um, emissions of nitrous oxide, as well as um, sequestering carbon. Um, Agronomists in the field are for our certified and trained. Um, that's a that's a question you can ask agronomists if you're working with. Um, one of the real key things is we go through training to be certified and talk about um, the practices that can help you um, be more sustainable and some of the practices. Um, may make sense on your farm. Um, Again, when we talked about in 1990, I was um, just out of college and I remember thinking, there is no way all farmers will switch to zero till. Well, that was proved wrong because it made sense, economic sense on a farm and it does make sustainable sense on a farm. So um, I think when you look at zero till um, soil testing, which is huge because um, you need to know what type of fertilizer you need, 
when you're going to apply it. And um, soil tests will give you uh, recommendations and your 4R certified agronomist can then decide um, what type of fertilizer, when you put it on, um, maybe growing new crops or your crop rotation can be changed. So if we look at environmental stewardship, some of your um, 4R agronomists are gonna go over uh, the buffer areas around waters, um, you know, looking at soil cover. Uh, we, we look at a whole host of things. And what I really wanna hit home to you guys is that um, the farming practices we use today are very sustainable. And I think it's just a matter of reporting what we're doing and having the discussion with the agronomist that will help you. You know, our government is um, pushing forward uh, to um, reduce nitrous oxide emissions, as well as uh, looking at the carbon sequestration um, in agriculture. So I think data is what's going to carry us forward here and i just want to talk a little bit um, again about the four our nutrient stewardship practices when you look at it it's about using the right source of fertilizer um, and using soil tests to decide what rate you're putting on um, and and doing it at the right time um, i think uh, Western Canadian agriculture, um, we've looked at fertilizer as being um, a one-pass operation with seeding. And I think um, we need to look at how we feed the plant and encourage the plant to grow at the right times. Uh, and looking at um, timing of fertilizer, maybe in split ap applications, could be uh, something that would be an economic benefit to the farm as well. Um, I think that as farmers of agriculture, it's really important, um, you know, to document your practices and any of the acres that are recorded under 4R are done with anonymity. So um, it's not like anybody's seeing um, the farmer's names. It's a reporting of the acres on the crops that we have. And um, I believe that this um, is the right way to document um, what we're doing. And that gives us visibility of showing um, not only uh, consumers, but government on how we are managing our um, soils our fertilizer, and how we grow crops. Our next presenter is Curtis DeGoyer, who is agronomy team lead at Borgo Industries. Curtis organizes large-scale replicated fertilizer placement trials at the Borgo farm at St. Bruce, Saskatchewan. He shares some trial results, especially for right place. We have a, a farm here, about 2,300 acres, and every year we take a quarter uh, into canola. We have another quarter in wheat, uh, but obviously for this one, we'll concentrate on the canola side of things. Uh, what we're doing on, on these trials when we're testing these different uh, practices and these different placements, 
we're using the you know a larger scale equipment I would say compared to you know a traditional small plots. We're using 30 foot drills, uh, so they're 30 feet by 400 feet long, and replicating our trials. And and what this allows us to do is test the equipment that you would see on on your farm, test the equipment that we're currently selling. Uh, in this case, we've got a, a triple shoot drill here on 12 inch spacing, and then we also have a 10 inch drill and we have an air planter on it. So it gives us a lot of uh, ability to test these different uh, placements and practices. So the one thing I, uh, I get asked quite a bit, uh, you know, what is fertilizer burn? What does it look like? And I think that this really ties into, you know, some of the things on the right, right placement. So in this case, we have, we'll have nitrogen close, it's about an inch and a half away. Uh, from the seed, we, we put it down in the ground. We put all our fertilizer in, in a sideband configuration. And then we had uh, a mid-row bander applicators on our, on our drill, and we can just put them down. But what this really allows us to do is use the exact same equipment, exact same fertility rates, uh, literally side by side, and just see what it does to the crop. Uh, and again, it really pertains to the, you know, the right placement. And so again, we just move that nitrogen over, nothing else changes. And what we've kind of found throughout the years here, we've been doing it since 2016 uh, up here in, in St. Bruce, Saskatchewan. Uh, so it's a great wooded soil type. Uh, you know, every year we see as we move this nitrogen away, uh, we get this little bump in, in establishment. And, and that really, really does go to show those practices that you are making on the farm uh, can affect, uh, you know, the crop itself. And so over all these five years, you know, and, and I understand in one area, but over five years, different different uh, uh, weather patterns coming through here. We had about 21% higher emergence. Uh, you know, the yields wise are actually very similar. And this is just a real testament to uh, how canola can, how it can compensate. But, you know, 54, 53, 54 bushels within a bushel, but that plant stand all of a sudden can make some big effects uh, on your crop and, and your management decisions. Uh, nitrogen mid row, this is from 2020. Again, we we're putting down 10 seeds. You know, we, we move that in away, we're getting 8.6 plants uh, versus we have that in close, we're about 4.9 plants. And again, seeded the same day, everything's the same, but you can just see how it affects the crop. This one's much more further ahead, doesn't have to wait for those later branches to come out. Uh, this one, it just delayed, it has to, the, the crop has to branch out. And this really comes down to the individual plants. And you can see on the left side here, nitrogen in the mid row. Well, it's kind of a smaller plant looks like if you were just to pull them up and that's a very fair comment versus nitrogen in the sideband and it looks like it's branching off uh, and it is it has less plants less plants more room to fill out um, so this can really affect your maturities out there uh, so again placement how it affects your the yield the plant stands crop inputs uh, maturity um, you know fertilizer placement when it comes to fertilizer burn to, to come back to that uh, it really shows up, uh, you know, in, in the plant stands. And then at the individual level, it almost looks like it's a seed rate trial again, right? This big branch, well, this is done all with the exact same fertility placement, but yet we have, you know, we're, we're affecting how each individual plant looks and, and how it, how it, uh, how it fills out just based on, on, on our fertility placement and then fertility placement affects the plant stands. So some other things we've been playing with when it comes down to, to the four R's, uh, if you do have a sideband configuration and you and you and you like that style and it works well for you, but uh, some of the things that we're trying is you know different sources. So this is our typical. This is using urea, 140 pounds. Everything's in the sideband, uh, and then we can start to play around with uh, some ESN. 
and what we found was when we put 30% ESN as our nitrogen source, we saw our plant stands go up. Uh, our yield dropped a little bit, and that was, I think, more of a function of this year. We had some really high, high uh, temperatures, some, some heat blasting potential. And if it seemed like the higher the plant stand, uh, the more it was subject to, to the heat a little bit earlier on in July. And if it missed the big uh, heat wave that came through, uh, we had a little bit higher yields. And so when it came to broadcasting, we, we put Super U down and broadcast uh, in front and then came and seated with that dual knife opener moved all the N away, our plant stands went up, but our yield dropped a little bit more here. Uh, again, I'm not putting too much weight on this. This was a very unique year. Uh, and I think it really had a lot to do with um, that flowering timing being earlier and more heat. Uh, and we found the same thing when we just moved that N away, just as a comparison here. So N away, higher plant stands. Uh, one last thing I'm just going to touch on quick. Uh, and I, yeah, our most common kind of configuration, I would say from 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 Borgo is this is this placement with seed and this uh, seed and a little starter fertilizer and then you have your mid row banders and then nitrogen in the in the mid row. We've done a lot of work with actually taking some of that that seed uh, placed fertilizer uh, and moving some of it into the mid row. And this really speaks to you know you know the drier conditions that Warren kind of started off with there uh, going into this spring. Uh, there is an option here where we can actually split uh, some from some fertility between the seed and the, and the mid row. Uh, and then it comes down to placement there too. So this is just kind of showing what we uh, what we found was if you just look at it, even these left left two bars, uh, zero FOSS, and we had 55 pounds of P actual P205 in the in the mid row. We always see this little bump uh, in yield, and that was over a three year period. And so what we found was you don't get that early access to phosphorus, but if you do this split application with it, there, there's been some real success. So that's kind of some of the things that we're that we're playing with here when it comes to placement. If you want to see Curtis DeGoyer's slides, uh, you can find them at youtube.com slash canola council. In addition to posting the whole webinar, my colleague Cass Cardi has also posted each individual presentation. Curtis's is called Borgo Agronomy Trials. Our final presenter is Steve Barron with Double Diamond Farm Supply in South Central Manitoba. Steve has been involved with Fertilizer Canada, providing 4R fertilizer retailer training in the Manitoba region since 2016. Steve will share some cropping solutions that improve economic and environmental situations for Canadian farmers. Analyzing past canola performance concerning the nutrition management on your farm is, is huge. And with that, definitely the equipment side is something that you need to reflect on. Obviously, the last few years we've been dealing with dry drought conditions within uh, Western Canada, but some years that could be excessive moisture. And this all reflects on uh, environmental challenges of, of either way that uh, that would look. Baseline year 2022 canola nutrition performance for future reference, I think is huge. And a lot of that is understanding newer canola genetics. I believe our, our Seed manufacturers have, have come to the market with uh, genetics that's exponentially been getting better year in, year out. And we need to baseline what's working for us today with nutrition to understand where we can get to better performance in the future. Reflecting on your right source, the right rate, the right time, and the right places is going to take you to the next level with your production. And anytime you can breed efficiencies through nutrition management that way, environmental stewardship will follow suit. 
touching a little bit on the right source, I would suggest it's, it's not always just uh, synthetic fertilizers, the granulars and liquids and NH3 products, uh, you know, manure, compost, or, or looking at, say, enhanced efficiency fertilizers with nitrification, urease inhibitors, controlled release, biologicals, that style of thing needs to be entertained when it comes to the right rate. Well, we touched on that about understanding your canola's uh, physiological needs of nutrition as it's growing, trying to get, uh, trying to get a hold of those needs. Uh, digital uh, virtual tools to understand soil tests and uh, those things. That helps with understanding rates year in, year out, and, and how you can evolve to be better. Right time while well, spring versus fall, in-season applications, and the right place while well, taking into consideration your soil texture uh, through some of the soil testing that you've done to understand your uh, nutrient bank. Using that to understand how placement could be done in a better fashion. Precision nutrient management on defining field zones. Utilizing historical field data with yield or NDVI, LIDAR, utilizing satellites or drones, uh, elevation topography, salinity maps, personal historical observations. All of these are huge to define these zones and understand how placement of the fertilizer can be done most efficiently. If you just look at the bottom of the slide here, we have an NDVI imagery from July 17th on a canola crop of 2021. To the left, you have a NDVI imagery of a, the same field on July 17th of 2020 in an oat crop. Now, just by looking at that NDVI imagery, you can tell that there's defined zones in that field through the soil uh, through different crops. Rear view mirror practices, we've touched on this and all of our speakers today have touched on this. Realistically, just looking at what you've done in the past, you know, just having a calm approach and understanding this worked, this didn't work. Maybe we should be looking at uh, some different equipment, that style of thing. R&D products. We have a lot of different uh, information at our fingertips through government organizations, commodity groups, uh, products, practices, doing your own research, doing your own, own farm research, that needs to be communicated and understood and just taken into consideration. New technology, well, new technology, that, uh, that's such a vast uh, concept that could be seed technology, enhanced efficiency fertilizers, equipment, but realistically, just communicating with your peers, communicating with your equipment dealers, your retailers, anybody, just to get a, a larger picture view of what options that you might have. And, and finally, the economics cash flow financing, as we discussed, communicating that ahead of time so you're prepared for uh, nutrition management moving into 22 would be very important and to put yourself and your operation in a peace of mind. With the presentations complete, the webinar moved into a few minutes of questions. I've included a few here on the podcast. Steve, uh, you mentioned baselining your 2022 canola nutrition performance. Have you got a, a one minute uh, 
quick Coles Notes version on on how to baseline effectively? I suggest soil testing right at the beginning and understanding what you have in your soil. What's in the soil bank for nutrition? And then just um, utilize very, uh, there's a lot of different uh, digital platforms out there that you can use to, to harness your historical data of what you've done along the way. And then uh, follow up with your harvest field data. And then just really reflect on it shortly after the harvest to understand how many pounds of van it took to create a bushel of product. And then you'll know moving into the next year of how to approach the opportunity on that acre with that crop. All right, Karen, I've got a question for you. Um, and this has to do with split applications, which you mentioned very briefly, but didn't really get a chance to expand on given the short time frame. So I'm wondering whether you have uh, tips, like again, same with Steve, like the one minute Coles notes version of the tips on, on you know, whether you think it's a, a good practice and a couple little four hour tips on, on how to make it effective. So uh, again, I think that uh, especially coming into a year like we have um, that uh, we're lacking um, subsoil moisture, um, lots of uh, growers are thinking about um, limiting what they put um, in the seed grow um, or side banded with the seed. And, you know, really it's about making sure that you've got nitrogen available at the correct growing stages. So, um, you know, we've talked to a lot of farmers this year about um, maybe a reduction, um, and, and we're not talking huge reductions depending on your soil moisture conditions, but limiting um, your seeding um, fertilizer and then um, looking at uh, liquid applications, whether it's through dribble banding or um, a matter like that and, and um, making the nitrogen available at a later time and actually using a nitrogen stabilizer when you do put the liquid on so um, that it has a chance to feed the crop um, through the rest of the year. Um, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. And um, I would encourage people, again, to get that soil test so your for our uh, certified agronomist can make, you know, some decisions based on that soil test of what the needs of the crop would be and look at what your um, yield target is on the canola. I also asked Curtis for his thoughts on split applications. Yeah, I think the idea of, of the split application makes total sense, right? You feed the crop when it needs it, as you go. Uh, up north, we actually, uh, you know, a lot of times it's, it's fall applications with anhydrous. So a lot of the end goes down earlier uh, that way. Um, you know what, to be honest with you, a lot of times the problem with the split application here, we've got a lot of acres, we've got to cover a lot of ground. Um, people get sick of sitting in their, in their sprayer or the broadcast and, you know, they want to go out and, and go to the lake, to be honest with you during the summer and enjoy some of that. So, uh, you, you know, those types of things kind of come into play, uh, whether or not that's right or not, uh, the logistics becomes, uh, almost like a limiting factor. 
but then again, we also have some research too. Um, I know out of Indian Head where they've, we've done a lot of these split application tests and sometimes it works, sometimes they don't. And so if it's a 50-50, um, you know, that producers are choosing to, I guess, kind of front load a little bit more and, and get it done in one pass. To close the webinar, I asked each presenter for a quick recap of their key messages. I'm wondering if, if each of you, uh, as part of your closing, could tell me one four-hour practice that you think is underutilized, like uh, you know the, the proverbial low-hanging fruit that uh, you wish more people would do. Warren Ward starts us off. For me, four-hour management is um, it's, it's a flexible management plan that gets you the most out of your, your fertilizer applications. And one of the ways of, in, in my mind, the, the very first step of that is soil testing. We, we need to know what we're working with. So I got the, the easiest of the low-hanging fruit here by, by going first, I think. But I, I would like to see an increase in soil testing. And that's really just going to drive the rest of the, the management practices. And part of that is just you know, overall the planning process that goes into 4R. So I would encourage people to uh, to seek out, uh, whether it's through their retail or the agronomist they're working with, to to actually start looking at 4Rs, putting that plan in place. And and uh, you know, I think if you're not already doing it, you'll be surprised at how how flexible and, and convenient, and it, it will help in situations like this year where we do have some challenges. Okay, Karen. Um, I would have to, uh, with soil testing gone, I would say my next um, suggestion would be, um, you know, I think we can achieve um, using our fertilizer better with the digital um, agronomy uh, platforms that are out there. Um, we can use the same amount of fertilizer or actually reduce it. Um, by just uh, not fertilizing the areas that are non-productive um, much more readily and actually it will uh, add to our bottom line because we're not putting as much fertilizer on the field. So I think about, it's about um, knowing um, where the fertilizer is required to grow a crop. So um, I, I would just like to, in my wrap-up, say... Um, data is so important and recording your acres um, is critical um, to us so we can prove uh, what Western Canadian farmers are doing uh, to be more sustainable. Okay, good. Thanks, Karen. Curtis and then Steve. Curtis. Sure. I think, uh, you know, kind of the wrap up thing here is that it was touched on already these whole the concept of four r principles isn't something massive that has to be you know a big document that you have to prepare it, it's these little things that occur on the farm uh these little enhancements that you can do uh and you know in whatever way it pertains to your particular operation so you know i think that's kind of my big my big thing and as far as the the, the R that I like the most, well, I, think, I guess placement is kind of the, the thing there. And I think that that can be, that kind of can get overlooked uh, in, in, in both safety, but also in um, productivity as far as decreasing your inputs. And, and uh, yeah, I guess I just like the golden, the golden rule of, of, you know, specifically nitrogen placement is, is get it in the ground. So I'll maybe leave that there. Right on. Thanks, Curtis. Steve, last word. The right source. Realistically, just uh, have a conversation, do your own homework, research it yourself, nitrification inhibitors, controlled release products, urease inhibitors, 
keeping in mind pound for pound, they're not all the same, but just considering them, they are in a classification of enhanced efficiency fertilizers. And as Karen had mentioned, when you're defining zones and utilizing some of these products correctly, you can probably cut back in certain situations and that's an environmentally sound practice with less nitrous oxide emissions and in turn should increase your productivity, which would help your bottom line. Thanks again to the presenters, Karen Dow, Curtis DeGoyer, Steve Barron, and my colleague Warren Ward with the Canola Council. And thanks to the host organizations, Canola Council of Canada, Manitoba Canola Growers, SAS Canola, and Alberta Canola. You can watch all segments of this webinar, including the slides at youtube.com slash canola council. For lots more on canola nutrient management and the four R's, please check out the excellent online resource at canolaencyclopedia.ca. Look under the nutrient management tab. I also wrote an article you may enjoy. It's called, When Do Enhanced Efficiency Fertilizers Make Sense? It ran in the January 2022 Canola Digest, which you can find online at canoladigest.ca. And finally, please register for the final Canola Watch webinar on April 13th, Make Every Plant Count, Practical Tips to Maximize Your Plant Stand, is the topic. Find details at your Provincial Canola Association website or at canolacouncil.org in the Events section under the About Us tab. This has been a Canola Watch podcast. I'm Jay Wetter. Thanks for listening.